0: And welcome to Prepare Like a Pro live chats. My name's Jack McLean. I created Prepare Like a Pro early in the year. We are a strength and conditioning business that specialise in elite development for football. If you're interested in working with us, head over to our website, preparelikeapro.com, where you can download free training programs as well as check out our training packages and both face-to-face training as well as online training. You can see Tim's jumped on, so I'm just going to send over the invitation, mate. While I'm doing that... For those that don't know, Tim Gabbett, he has 25 years experience working as an applied sports scientist with athletes and coaches for a wide range of sports. I'm super excited to, to catch up with Tim on this live format and discuss all things sports science and load management. He has progressively put in training programs for rehabilitation as well as research for training programs that are practical, coach-friendly um, and applicable to anyone with a desire to be their best. Tim's common sense approach to high performance really sets him apart. Uh, he's famous for his acute to chronic workload ratios, which we'll go into detail during this chat. Uh, and he continues to be in demand as a sports science consultant all around the world. Hey, Tim, how you going? Hey,
1: Jack, how's things?
0: Yeah, you're going well, mate. Thanks for jumping on. My
1: pleasure. Thanks for having me on
0: there. Yeah, it sounds okay. You can hear me clearly. There's a few guys jumping on now, so we've got some people joining us.
1: Yes. Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me okay?
0: Yep. I sure can. Yeah. So for those that they can write through questions via comment. So if that happens while you're talking about a previous question, well, I'll just keep an eye on that and scroll up and down on this screen here, and and I'll when we get time, i'll I'll fit that question in. But for the most, part, okay. for those that are watching that you want to send a question through to Tim, uh, all you need to do is use the question button at the bottom of your screen, and then when we get to q and a time later on in the chat, we'll we'll find time for that question. But thanks for jumping on, mate, really looking forward to this chat. We'll get straight into it. So take us back to the beginning. At what age did you realize that a career in elite sport as a sports scientist was something that you were passionate about?
1: I think intuitively I probably knew really young, as, as young as 10 years old. I was following my dad around football fields and training fields and, and he was training, training athletes, training footballers and I used to just follow him around and, and I learned a lot in those early days from him and, yeah. and I, I often say I, I, I learned more I think I learned more from him about training through doing it and through watching him and observing how he worked with his athletes than I ever did out of any textbook so that that like I guess there was in the back of my mind there was probably something there that I wanted to to chase up wanted to follow up and it it was probably how I always had an interest in conditioning, strength and conditioning and and was always involved in that area but I guess in my early twenties i I probably decided that I needed to to go and do something formal about it. And just start studying, and and that's kind of where I've where it's taken me to to this point now.
0: Fantastic. So when you were following your dad around, was he looking after the strength and conditioning side of things as like a as a trainer, or was he a skills coach? And was that one on one? Was it like was he a private consultant, or was he be following around at clubs?
1: Well, it was a bit of everything. I mean, in those days, it wasn't there wasn't such a thing as a consultant so so much. It was, uh, I I think, in this this is going back to early early eighties, late late seventies, and he he got paid with a pair of running shoes and might have got a tracksuit at the end of the year. So it was different days. But so he would he would train football teams, rugby league teams, um, soccer teams. But he also trained he trained a lot of sprinters through to distance runners as well. That was his his real strength was running. He he ran in a lot of in a lot of professional races when he was younger, so he knew a lot about a lot about running and a lot about how you had to run in order to get the the best mark in a professional race. So you want to get a good handicap in a race, so a lot of the time you'd run dead so that you can get a better a better handicap. Yeah, so it's there's a bit of there was a lot of um, physicality involved in it. You had to be fit to do it, but you also had to be smart to to make it look like you were running hard in the in the heats so that yep. you'd get the best the best handicap going into the final so you could get right. you could win the cash um, yeah yep. so yeah good story oh, okay. yeah yeah
0: absolutely yeah fantastic sorry i thought someone sent through a question but they didn't so yeah you mentioned your dad was was a strong influence early on in your career and, and that's where being exposed to watching what he did you recognised there was a passion within yourself as well were there other mentors or, or influences along the way along your journey that have helped you to where you are today
1: Oh yeah, look. I I think I think it's really important that your pa- your parents, in general, they they believe in you, right? So they 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 believe that you can you can achieve things you want to achieve. So both my both my parents were really good, my mum and my dad. But I, I also think it's it's pretty important that you have someone other than your your parents and other than your family that believe in you. I mean, I, I had a lot of pretty good influences. Looking back, there was school teachers that really really pushed me to. To be my best at what I, what I did, like, and, and a lot of my stuff was in sport, school, the, the academic part of school, but it was yeah. the, the sporting part of school. And they really pushed me hard to, to, to do the best I could do there. And, and I think I probably, I probably made a lot of teams back in those days, not so much based on skill or physicality. It was just, it was based on effort. 's been so many times that I've been uh, beaten in races or, or beaten in competition due to just being not physically gifted enough or not skillful enough but uh, it's very rare that, that I get beaten on effort like that was something that I learned really young you've got to actually have it you've got to have a decent if you're going to have a crack at it have a decent crack at it and don't don't die wondering so those those lessons that I learned from my coaches and my school teachers and from my dad and my mum, it was their they're lessons that I've been able to take through that other areas of my life now that that there's a certain amount of skill involved, but effort is you can't do, you can't do a lot of things to a high level in your life unless you have effort.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, and, and in terms of the sports science side of things, was your dad, you know, was there, maybe it wasn't a called acute to chronic ratio, but was there a form of sports science in trainers back then? Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the fitness fatigue model was was kind of first proposed around the 70s. So, but I doubt that um, he would have known about the, the papers that were around. He, would, he probably wouldn't have known about the theory, but I, I remember talking to him about acute chronic loads yep. and, and him just saying to me, well, that's common sense, isn't it? And I said, oh, yeah, but what you've got to realize is that common sense isn't that common in, in yeah. sport. And he and he said to me, "Well, great. I'll tell people that that Tim's talking about shit that we already know." So it's yeah, yeah. I mean, it's nothing. It levels you out pretty well. But I mean, he he knew and and the good the good trainers and good well, they weren't even called conditioning staff, and they were called trainers. So yeah. the good trainers w- would you had to work hard. There was no easy way to get to where you wanted to go without training hard and training consistently. But they also knew that you didn't train up until the day of the game at that intensity that you, you tape it off and you, you reduce the load to freshen your athletes up. So this whole concept of acute and chronic loads that we're talking about now, it was it was around back then. It just didn't have the, the fancy names that we give it. But they, was, they were doing it.
0: Yeah. And going into the acute-chronic ratio and and all the research that you've done and, and papers, what got you onto that path? If, if you were exposed to coaching and, and you knew that that was a passion, was it going to uni where you were exposed to the academic side? What stirred you onto to Go down the research path.
1: I think early on when I was, when I was studying, I I probably set my sights on some, some high level degrees. When I, when I started out, I, there was, because I hadn't worked, I hadn't worked as hard as I should have at school, then I, I struggled to get into university. And then when I got into university, I found it really, really tough. And I just, I worked, worked really hard at it because there was this, this fear of not getting through the course. Then I, I, I did okay in in a few exams. I thought, well, hang on, I might be okay at this. So I, my mind shift, mind shift, um, my, my state of mind shifted a little bit. In that, I went, well, okay, let's not be fearful of this. Let's just do the best I can because I might be okay at it. So then, once once I got to that point, I went, well, okay, if I'm if I'm going to be okay at it, I might as well be good at it, and I may mean, as well just push myself to be the the best I can be at it. I don't have to be don't have to be the best in the world. I don't have to be better than anyone else. I just have to be the best. That I can be just whatever that means to me. So that was just a goal for me, and and part of that goal was okay. Well, you've you've got through this degree now that you you thought maybe you couldn't do, and now you did it, and maybe you could push a little harder, and and maybe you could do an honors. So I, I did the honors and and did well in the honors, and then um, the PhD came up. So that it kind of one thing led to another. I don't know that I was. Ever really that interested in research, and now that, that might same well, it might sound a bit strange because it's like there's I've probably you know written a lot of papers, but it was never my goal to to write a heap of papers. It it all I was doing was just working in the field, doing doing stuff, trying stuff that you try every day. You you try different stuff and and you see whether it worked. And all I was doing was just keeping a journal about the kind of stuff I was doing. Some worked that I wrote about. And some didn't work that I also wrote about and it, it just it was a logical extension to take that journal that journal entry and just kind of write a write a paper about it and if if people can learn from that then that's great and if it's just experiences really like some stuff worked really well and some stuff didn't work well but it's it's the stuff that didn't work well is we learned from as well we exactly. learned from that just like we learned from the stuff that worked
0: yeah and there'd be a lot of well both maturing but but mainly developing footballers that that watch. Uh, I know certainly my, my page, from an acute to chronic ratio or just general load management, when you're dealing with younger athletes, what, what's an important thing from a philosophy point of view? How can they, I guess, read their body better or self-manage themselves early days for the younger athlete? It doesn't have to be football specific. but mm. Well, look, I, I think
1: the, the, the big thing that was like a light bulb moment for me with, with load, I'd been looking at, at training load and injury for a long time. And there was this school of thought that high loads contributed to injuries, high loads caused overuse injury and what I was starting to see was that our our players who were training consistently and had the highest loads weren't the ones getting injured. It was always the ones who were at low loads who hadn't loaded for a long period of time or had been in rehab and then rushed back. And then it, it's it just dawned on me that it's it's not load that's the problem, it's the load you're not prepared for. And and this is like coming back to your question of well, how can younger athletes use this information? I, I think I think there's two really key key points. If you want to handle the demands of competition, then you have to train hard for that competition. You have to, to look at the demands of the sport and be ready for it. So there's no easy way to get there. You have to train hard, but it's it's really important to consider how you get to those high loads. If you go from zero to 100 in a very short space of time, then you shouldn't be too surprised if you get in this chronic rehab or loop where you get injured, then you get exposed to low loads because you're injured, and then you try and ramp, ramp your way out of it quickly, then you get re-injured again. This, this chronic rehab loop. So the the thing that I'd say to young players is build consistency in your training. Get a get a routine and try and have a routine from week to week. This is what I'm doing Monday through to Friday or Monday through to Sunday and prepare for the demands of your sport, but, but try and get there as safely as you can.
0: Yeah. yeah. And it's, so it's not fearful of, of doing big sessions, is it? The, the, not necessarily big sessions. As long as you've got that consistency under your belt, the big sessions actually build resilience more. To, to being yeah. less likely to be injured for game day.
1: Yeah, look, I think I think people people hear different things with acute and chronic loads, and it, I guess it depends on where you where you come from. So if you have have more of a more of a health related background, perhaps you're more likely to go. Well, I've got to make sure those changes are really small. Yeah. If you come from a strength and conditioning background, you're probably seeing that. Oh no, what he's actually saying is that high loads are good. That, you know, if we can build the high loads, it, it builds physical resilience, it builds robustness. Now, there's truth in both of it. The the one message, if I had to say one message that I wanted people to take away, it's that training is a good thing. Hard training is a good thing. You train hard, you recover hard, then you go back and you do it again. And the, the consistency that comes with that builds physical resilience and robustness. But it also builds a mental resilience as well. That you there's a confidence that comes from consistent training, that, that when you're have to go to that dark place in a game or in a race that you've been there before over and over again in training and that you can handle it. Yeah, I love that. That's,
0: that's a great message. Nico Jurass has uh, sent through. Do you, get it? Do you believe that the ACWR, so the acute chronic work ratio, can be a good option in people with chronic pathologies, disease? Yeah, I mean, what we're, what we're talking
1: about with the acute chronic workload ratio is just progressive overload. It's, it's progressive overload 101. And, and importantly, it's different from from just saying, take this and see how you feel. What you're actually doing is loading relative to someone's capacity. So if we're talking about a key training principle, progressive overload is a key training principle. So as far as I'm aware, there's no no studies that have looked at the acute chronic workload ratio and pathologies, such as tendinopathy or athletes in pain. But if you have a think about... If you were to problem solve your way through some of the challenges with with those pathologies, how would you go about it? You would try and progressively expose your athlete, whether they whether they've got a pathology or whether they're they're in in chronic pain. You would ex- progressively expose them to some sort of stress, and the stress in this case is training. Yeah. What you're trying to do is gradually improve their tolerance to that stress. It's kind of like public speaking. If if you don't like public speaking, there's two ways you can deal with it. You can never, ever do public speaking and then when you have to speak in public, you get so stressed that you can't get the words out or you just keep speaking in public. <laughs> you yeah. you, graduate, you just progressively expose yourself to more and more opportunities to speak in public so that when you have to do it, it just becomes normal. And that's that's how I would approach chronic pain, pathologies. You want to expose your athlete to the highest load that is tolerable to that individual athlete. And you monitor the response to that load. If it's a good response, then you can load again. If not, then you just adjust the load a little bit before loading again.
0: Yeah, yeah. And for those playing team sports and from your consultant experience when when working with a rugby or AFL football teams, with with applying the acute work ratio, is there a certain metric that is specific to that player that's important to be really across? So, for instance, kicking volumes or, or, you know, or high-speed running? Or is it a matter of a few metrics that you, you're you're looking at closely as you group, if that makes sense? Rather than having 20, do you condense it to five, like your experience, but where have you seen it done really well in a practical to sporting teams? Well, I think the the, the first
1: thing we need to be careful of is, is you can literally measure infinite number of variables, and particularly now when there's, there's so many different wearables on the market. So the, the temptation is to just measure everything you possibly can but the challenge with that is you end up collecting numbers looking for a question and you just don't you just don't have enough time to analyze all of those different things and and what you can find sometimes is let's say we take two variables total distance and high speed running you might see that one is going through the roof and one is going down so so which one do you place more emphasis on the the way that I I typically will choose a variable is my my general approach is what is the least amount of information I need in order to do my job well? What's the least amount of information I need to make a decision? Yep. So if, if I'm working with, let's say, an AFL footballer or a soccer player and I've got, I'm lucky enough to have GPS, then I'll, I'll probably choose high-speed running because I know it's an important high-speed running ability is an important quality to develop. It's key to performance, but it's also pretty critical in terms of injury injury risk. If you don't do enough high speed running, then it puts you at, at risk. It's like a vaccine against injury. Yep. So that's that's a key one for me. If I'm talking about baseball pitches, then perhaps if they if they're not if they're not getting at bat, then the amount of high speed running they in a the game is going to be neg- negligible. So their main performance metric, the main metric that's going to be relevant from an injury viewpoint going to be the number of hard throws. so I, I try and just look at the game there are statistical ways you can determine the best metric to choose mm-hmm. but for me it's trust your eyes look at the game and just choose the variables that you think are going to be most relevant performance and chances are they're going to be pretty relevant from an injury perspective as well
0: Yeah. Yeah, I love it. So yeah, that common sense, like you said, and going a little bit with the subjective as well, and combining that with the objective side, like using your coaching eye and that sort of thing, is important. As it was twenty, thirty years ago, as it is today.
1: Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I love the I love the subjective stuff. Um, I probably use a lot more of that now than I than I ever did. Yeah, I, I probably went through a period where I tried to measure measure a lot because that's what scientists do. But now I, I had a team that I was working with and brought me on and they didn't have a lot of resources. And for a long time prior to prior to starting the job, I was wondering, how am I going to do this job when I don't have all the resources at my disposal? Yeah. And eventually this calmness came over me. It was, well, how did I used to do it before yeah. I had all the toys? And I knew well. I, I'd have to work with the athlete. I have to work with the person in front of me and, and work out what makes them tick. And once once I kind of came to that point, it was, it was the best year ever. Was It was... Yeah, right. it was it was basically, well, what are the things that I cannot do without? And I, I cannot do without a good
0: relationship with my athlete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. And and when you're in that constrained situation, you, you have to simplify it. You? you have to find the big ticket items, the most important stuff, where, whereas if you've yeah. got a lot of options, you can just analyze everything. But then not use any of it. That's right, absolutely. And, and also be burnt out to the athletes, <laughs> and you're not coaching well either. So it's just, I've definitely found myself in yeah. that predicament. What, what about the flip side with older with older athletes? Athletes that are sort of trying to in the phase now of prolonging their career is the message different? For them, when it comes to load management, and I guess the main focus for them is trying to, is, you know, play an extra season.
1: Yeah, look, I think it's it's probably you have to weigh it up on a case by case basis. So, so some of those older athletes will need to keep some load ticking over to, to ensure that they're they're able to, to cope with the acute loads. But then you have other athletes who are older who they get through the game because they're smart, so they they're able to to do the things they do and not necessarily have high workloads. So they they tend to have great skill involvements, but their physical workloads tend to be quite low. They they seem to be able to manage manage their way through the game. Yeah, and and in a lot of respects, they they know their bodies pretty well by by then as well. So where you probably spend a, a bit more time having conversations with them around what what do you think you need at this point in time? How can I help you? As opposed to the younger player who's who, who doesn't. Who hasn't learned their body as well as some of those older guys? Don't know they're, they're spending a lot more time just figuring out their game. So, so the kind of approach you take is a little different between the older and younger guys. But in general, the the principles are going to be the same. In in that certainly, if you're very young or very old, you don't you don't cope with spikes in load particularly well so somewhere in the middle of your career you you tend to handle it but when you're really young and really old those spikes in load tend to be associated with greater injury risk and and poorer performance so you're trying to even out their their training loads as much as you can yeah that makes sense
0: well we'll we'll start to wrap it up mate thank you so much for for providing us with all your experiences and and knowledge what are you excited about 2021 what's on the horizon for you with business
1: I just really hope
0: COVID would stay around for another
1: five or ten years, and then I can get more training in myself. And I'm, I'm just uh, loving the loving the training. The nah, time. look, at, oh look, 2020 has been a, a challenging year for everyone. So from my point of view, if I can just keep keep working with the athletes, I'm working with working with the coaches every every day. I kind of pinch myself that I'm pretty lucky to be able to to do some of the things that I'm able to do. For a job, so I'll keep I'll keep doing that. I'll, I'll keep keep just trying to do the best I can for for them. We've got an Olympics next year, hopefully. Yeah, touch wood. But now more than ever, we're seeing that coming out of COVID, athletes need support around them. So even though there's challenges around football departments and whatever else, now more than ever, athletes and coaches are going to need good people around them to to help them navigate challenges that that have been prevented presented by COVID. So. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to the future and whatever whatever comes up with the, the next challenge sporting-wise, we'll be ready for it.
0: Yeah, that actually brings up a lot, one last question. The changes of, of scheduling and, and game times and that sort of thing, and then I guess for, for athletes haven't played maybe a season, a competitive season, do you think one season, I know obviously there's a lot of visual variances to it, but do you think a season... Is there certain things trending condition conditioning coaches and skills coaches and sports scientists need to do more of in a pre-season preparing for a season when there was a season missed for that in terms of uh, if you haven't competed for a year? Or is it just the same old sort of thing pre-season will prepare you for the game?
1: Look, it'll, it'll, I, I, I think you're going to detrain a lot, of, a lot of physical qualities. So let's let's think about some of the things that you haven't been able to do. Even if you've just trained, you've missed probably the the physical contact that that comes from from playing the, the blunt force trauma and the, the grappling that you, you need to get used to again. Players will be training, but the intent in some of those sessions when you're not playing might be a little different. So Absolutely. they've got to get that. That intent back in their training, in terms of the the high the different high intensity actions, is probably the one um, because you can do all the all the the training in isolation and lockdown and and in a bubble and and whatever. But the low intensity stuff you'll be able to cover really easy. But it's the high intensity stuff that you want to make sure you're prepared for. So I, I think systematically building to those higher intensities and the high intensity work is going to be key for teams. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Well, awesome, mate. Well, thank you so much for jumping on. It's been a really good chat. Yeah,
1: my pleasure. My pleasure, Jack. All the best with it.
0: You too, mate. All the best, Tim. Thanks, everyone that joined us as well. You guys, catch you, Tim. Bye.